Good evening and welcome to Direct Impact Broadcasting, the station of growth and transformation. Affiliate of Creative Broadcasting presents Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson with your host, Taiwana Wilson, as she welcomes her guest to the studio. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson. I am your host, Tywana Wilson. A little bit about myself. I am your award-winning leadership maven, medical laboratory sciences by background, best-selling author, owner and chief leadership coach at Trendy Elite Coaching and Consulting Services, executive director with the John Maxwell team, Maxwell Disc Certified Consultant, Send Out Cars Referral Partner, and co-owner of Direct Impact Broadcasting Radio Station. Before we bring on my special guest, I do want to share a few announcements. It's not too late to leave your legacy in print in the HBCU edition of Kentucky State University. Please email me at Tywana, T-Y-W-A-U-N-A, at TrendyEliteLLC.com for more information. You can also get my latest book, The Girlfriend Code, Sorority Edition, at www.coachtwilson.com. It is a collaboration of 15 unique voices, perspectives, and codes to transform the way we see ourselves, connect, support, and uplift our girlfriends. You don't have to be in a sorority to understand uh, to get the book. Also, you can catch up on previous episodes of our podcast by going to YouTube, Podbean, or Stitcher uh, and look up Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson. Special thanks to my media mentors, Ms. Ashley Lutzel and Ms. Kimberly McLemore of Talk Radio and TV Network, LLP. Today's special guest, Ms. Kristen Harper. Kristen Harper is a global vice president at Cardinal Health, a $130 billion Fortune 15 healthcare company. Before transitioning to B2B healthcare, she built a deep general management experience in consumer packaged goods at Procter & Gamble and the Hershey Company. Kristen leads teams to develop strategies, innovation, and equity building marketing that drive increased sales, profit, and share for iconic brands, including Crest, Oral-B, and Hershey's Kisses, where her team delivered the largest share growth in seven years. She has two areas of passion. One, growing businesses and brands, and two, developing people to achieve their leadership potential within and outside of Cardinal Health. She is deeply committed to giving back to her community as an active member, as an active lifetime member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, minister at her church, and co-founder, board president of Pacesetters Unlimited Incorporated, which provides mentoring and scholarships to African-American youth. Kristen received her bachelor's and MBA degrees from Florida A&M University. She and her husband, also a FAMU graduate, are the proud parents of three children. In 2015, they accomplished a bucket list goal by establishing a $25,000 endowed scholarship for FAMU School of Business and Industry students. Kristen also co-chaired the largest grassroots fundraising campaign in FAMU's history, raising over $130,000 in nine months 
to establish the Beta Alpha chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Fortitude Endowed Scholarship for FAMU Female Students. She is a speaker and author of Love's Resurrection, A Spiritual Journey Through Marriage, Divorce, and Remarrying the Same Man, which she authored in 2008. And working on her second book about using emotional intelligence insight to advance your career. Good evening, good evening, Miss Crispin. How are you doing? Good evening, Taiwana. I'm great. How are you? I am doing well. I am so excited to talk with you this evening and pick your brain and get all of the tidbits that you have for our listening audience. Yes, I'm so excited for the invitation, and I appreciate it so much, Coach T. Awesome, awesome. Well, I know you have a lot to share, so we'll jump right in. Okay. So, Kristen, can you tell the listeners about your leadership journey and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so that's a great question. And um, I would say that my leadership journey really started as a child. Uh, my mother was my first role model, and um, she is a social worker by training. Um, and she started selling something called Princess House Crystal. And <laughs> she helped um, me. She she leveraged me, I would say. She hired me to do things like writing out invitations and and um, helping her to set up the crystal parties and going into people's homes who I'd never met before and, and interacting with them and communicating them and ultimately uh, helping them to, to buy crystal for their homes. So she was really my, my first role model. And what I loved about her and my dad is that they – exposed me to so much as a child, um, whether it was, you know, playing in piano recitals or being in youth groups, um, volunteer work, and all of that really built my confidence uh, where I served in things like student council and became the president um, for most of my high school tenure on into college where I was the president of our student government association. And all of that really prepared me for corporate America um, and for continued leadership at the job and in my community. Um, You know, why do I share this? Because many of you um, may be parents, and I think it's really important to expose our children until the spark is lit. Like, I grew in my communication skills and my leadership skills. And I really learned that I love business. I love marketing. Um, I love uncovering insights and, and creating things that really put a smile on people's faces. Um, as a child, my parents really, really allowed me to do a lot of things. So I had a piano teacher who she called me over. My, my childhood name was Chrissy. And she called me. She said, Chrissy, I need you to come right over to my house. So I rode my bike over to Tammy's house, and she said, I need you to take over my piano students because I just found out that I'm 32 weeks pregnant. Oh, my goodness. So I was flipping out, you know, at 14 years old. I flipped out even more um, as an adult, like, oh, my goodness. But um, from that age, from that young age, I started teaching students in my parents' home. Um, and did that throughout high school, and I had students from the age of four 
all the way to over 80 years old. And so being able to work with individuals um, and then being able to, uh, I started uh, Chrissy's Cookies and stuff, which was a baking business because I didn't have any money for, for, um, for, for Christmas gifts one year. And that turned into reoccurring orders for my church members. So, you know, I would say that my leadership journey has been inspired certainly by my mom, enabled and my dad, enabled by um, a lot of exposure, and being able to take risks, taking calculated risks to try something new. I mean, when I, I spent about eight years at Procter & Gamble uh, working on brands like Crest and Oral-B and Metamucil, and then I moved into, um, I did several things during my marketing career there. My last role was in innovation. And I fell in love with innovation, the ability to, again, create something new, identify those unmet needs, and deliver something that puts a smile on, on people's faces and really fulfills something that makes their life better. Um, and, and from there, I moved to a place that I had never heard of, never been to, a 10,000-person town, but they call it the sweetest place on earth, and that is Hershey, <laughs> Pennsylvania. And I spent five great years at Hershey, but – you know, my husband and I, we took that risk to try something new, and it paid off. I had an amazing time at Hershey, leaving as the director of one of the world's most iconic brands, Hershey's Kisses, and then transitioned back to my hometown of Columbus when we decided we wanted to be closer to family because that was really important to us at the time. And it's just been a blessing to now be in healthcare and to work at a fantastic company and to help. Um, so many of our customers help their patients have a better experience. So that's a little bit of my leadership journey. Wow, that's awesome. I, I love that. That early exposure, you're right, is definitely key uh, for our kids to be able to know that they really can do anything and be exposed to a lot of different things. Was it difficult to take that uh, calculated risk? Was it difficult? Um, mm mm-hmm. Sometimes, but I'll tell you one thing I learned in business school was something called the weighted average scoring model, and it sounds really fancy, but at the end of the day, when there are complex decisions and there's no right or wrong answer, in fact, that's something I learned um, during a week I spent, I was blessed to spend a week at Harvard at a high potential leader conference, and one of the uh, professors said, there are no right or wrong answers. There's only trade-offs. And so in this weighted average scoring model, when I'm faced with a complex decision where there's no clear answer, I lay out all of the priorities, I give them a weight from 0 to 100, and it has to add up to 100 between Mm -hmm. all of those factors, and then I give each of those factors a score. So, for example, um, moving to Hershey's, you know, uh, iconic brand, you know, that was really important to me. Uh, location was uh, important, but not as great of importance as other things. So you just multiply the weight times the score, and then you compare your options and see where it lands. And that objective approach has helped me to be able to make decisions when there wasn't a clear answer. But I'm definitely a proponent of taking a risk. But in order to take risk, you have to be willing to fail. But there's, there's no such thing as failure if you learn from it. 
mm-hmm. um, when we don't learn from it, when we suffer in silence, when we suffer in regret, when, um, when we're tormented inside, then risk-taking and failure is, can, be, can be, you know, final, deadly, you know, unfortunate, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But as long as we learn, then no experience is wasted. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm happy you talked about failure and talked about risk, uh, and and I'm sure you encounter it a lot with some of your uh, young people that you work with. Sometimes they're afraid to to take risk, and because they're afraid to fail, and so mm-hmm. with success comes a lot of opportunities for for growth, right? And it's very important for our next generation of leaders to not only hear about our successes and our accomplishments, you know, all of those fantastic things uh, that we do very well, but also, you know, the growing pains and those failures we've experienced along the way. So can you share with the listeners a few of your growth opportunities and the lessons that you learned? Absolutely. Um, there are many, but I won't bore you with all of them. Um, the, the first one that I will share is something that my executive coach helped me to understand. I'm an only child, and one of the downsides of being an only child and having been in many um, organizations where I ultimately served in an elected or an appointed capacity as, as a leader, one of the things, and, and I didn't play sports growing up. I, I tried out for the drill team. I didn't make it. So I stuck <laughs> to student government and I stuck to music. Um, but one of the things that she helped me to realize is that navigating with peers wasn't something that I was used to. I didn't have a brother or a sister to, you know, work with and try to, you know, smooth talk mom and dad with, or mm-hmm. I didn't play on sports teams and really um, where, the, where the goal was, you know, a, a single goal that everyone shared and everyone was working together to accomplish, and you had to navigate and overcome various obstacles together. So how that showed up for me in the workplace was, when there was conflict, let's say, with my peers or with a team or a challenge that we couldn't overcome or something that I felt really strongly about but others didn't, my default was to talk to my manager or talk to those who were higher up. Mm-hmm. Now, how that showed up for my peers and how they experienced it was I'll just equate it to tattletelling or not being collaborative. And so that was a blind spot for me. And it wasn't intentional. But when, I, when she helped me to uncover that insight, I had a greater appreciation and understanding of how I might be showing up and what some of those unintended consequences may have been. And so what I've learned how to do is to influence up influence down, and influence across with my peers. And that's really important because the higher you go in an organization, the less coaching you get, the less direction you get, 
the less mm-hmm. instructions you get. And often it is through a combination of self-reflection and getting that direct and indirect feedback from peers that really helps you to continue to grow and develop. So that's one um, opportunity for growth that uh, I realized a few years ago and have since course corrected. Um, Another one I would say I'm active in the community and always have been, and there was a time when I ran for a leadership role in an elected office in an organization, had plenty of qualifications, that wasn't a question, really engaged the constituency to um, persuade them to vote for me. And the person that I ran with was also very qualified, but they had a hometown connection. And um, during our speech, I gave a very logical, well-thought-through vision, strategy, um, well-put-together, did excellent, I would say, based on the feedback, marketing with the campaign, et cetera. My opponent um, did a speech that was very energetic. It engaged the audience. And by the end of the speech, there were people up cheering. And so I ultimately lost that election by eight votes. I was crushed because I had given so much to that organization. I was disappointed. Mm -hmm. I felt betrayed a little bit, like, oh, my goodness, I've given so much, and um, it it wasn't repaid. Not that I had contributed or served with the expectation of anything, but what hurt me the most is that the hometown connection was a persuading factor of many people who voted for my opponent. And that was, a really, um, that was a really tough learning lesson for me. And so what I learned from that situation is, number one, to give with no expectation. Um, and I don't think that I was giving and serving with an expectation consciously, but I made that declaration in my mind that, what I contribute, what I give to the world, to people, is from my heart, and there's not going to be any regrets with what I give. Don't give more than I'm willing to lose. Um, and then the other thing I learned that really, you know, helps to spark this journey I'm on around emotional intelligence is that engaging people's heads and mind, in their minds is a really good thing. You need to be logical. You need to be rational. You need to be strategic. But engaging people in their hearts is even better. And a lot of times people make decisions based on emotions. They make decisions based on how they feel. They make decisions about advancement within the the office setting or within the corporation based on people's um, personal brand and their image. And, you know, their, their qualifications, that's kind of a starting point. But it's those other factors of how we engage people in their heart that really make the difference between someone voting for you or not, someone um, choosing you for a role or not, um, et cetera. So those are a couple lessons I learned. I'll just say one more around growing leaders. So, 
there's this thing called the PIE model, performance, image, and exposure. And mm-hmm. early on in our career, early on in any assignment, performance is absolutely critical. It's always critical. It's the baseline. Once you've established that you're a great performer, what then matters, especially to advance, is your image and your mm-hmm. exposure. What is, what, when people say your name, what do they think about you? How do they feel? How do you make people feel? Who have you been exposed to? Are you on those special assignments? Are you, are you taking um, those projects that, that others may not want to? Are you, are you in the employee resource groups? Are you, are you volunteering, et cetera? Do people have kind of good things to say about not only the what but also the how? As we continue to grow, um, the image and exposure becomes more important. And as we evolve from being individual contributors to being leaders and managers of people, the metric is certainly delivering whatever the performance objectives of your, your organization and your team are. But beyond that, it's about growing leaders. Mm-hmm. So I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I am a proud graduate of Florida A&M University in Tallahassee, Florida, one of the largest historically black colleges in the, in the, uh, the country. Um, but last fall, my husband and I went down to our homecoming. And, you know, homecomings are a very festive time. You know, people are having a good time. It's like a huge festival, a huge reunion. And there was a, a guy who was selling conch. Now, my husband is from South Florida, so he loves conch. So much so that in the course of three days, we mm-hmm. stood in the conk man's line twice. And we would have gone a third time. We would have gone a third time if the wait wasn't 45 minutes each. Oh, now, my goodness. 45 minutes. Can you believe that? Why oh would the goodness. wait have been so long? Because the conk man did not duplicate himself. He did not develop others. I, 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 was, I stood in line so long that I calculated. I calculated his, his profit margin. I calculated what his, it looks like maybe a, a daughter or a niece. What she did, she collected the money. But the conch man cut up the conch. He cut up the vegetables, diced every single vegetable. He added the lemons. He added the limes. He added the spices. He mixed everything together. And I'm like, why is he doing everything himself. Maybe he wants to keep all of that profit for himself. Maybe he doesn't want to share his secret recipe. But we would have gone probably a third and maybe even a fourth time if the wait hadn't been 45 minutes and if he would have been able to duplicate himself through scale. Why do I tell this story? Because as leaders, our job is to cultivate other leaders. And we can't cultivate other leaders if we're not willing to share, if we're not willing to share of our expertise, if we're not willing to allow our employees and our teams to give their recommendation first before we share our opinion, if we're not willing to listen and create a culture where people feel comfortable speaking up, where people feel comfortable challenging each other for the good of the outcome. So um, that is a third lesson that I'll say as it relates to uh, how I've, I've pivoted as I've grown and some lessons that it's not all about your individual accomplishments, especially as you grow as a leader. It's about how well 
you're able to duplicate yourself and, and cultivate other leaders. That is awesome. That's a great example that you mentioned because you're right. It happens more often than not where people, especially managers and supervisors, I wouldn't quite say leaders just yet for Mm -hmm. some of them, but uh, that's one of the things. It's like they are not intentional about building those other leaders, and they kind of keep that information to themselves. It's like, don't worry. You know, right. (laughs) It's like, Mm-mm. what Don't does your hoard. legacy look like if you're taking your information with you out the door after 20 years and have crippled the organization or those people left behind? So that is a great example of, you know, not being afraid to build other people. It only makes your legacy better uh, than leaving a team full of people who are unequipped and unprepared. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the conk man is down there missing out on money because he has he missing out. <laughs> he has not he has not scaled his business. Mm-mm. You got you have to scale. You got to duplicate yourself. <laughs> that is very important, especially during homecoming season. So I especially I especially. <laughs> you know, one other okay. thing I learned is. Um, is I used to be very, very serious, and I'm, I'm clearly about the business, and mm-hmm. um, I'm clearly about outcomes and results. But I actually was listening to the radio a few weeks ago, and it was Willie Moore Jr., and he said, for those who are 30, 40 and up, what would you tell your 20-year-old self? And I was on my way to the airport, and I was by myself, so I had some time to really think and think about that provocative question. And what I would tell my 20-year-old self is to have more fun, like enjoy the moment, be more spontaneous. Um, I have a friend who says that she just loves my laugh, and I posted something the other day, and she said, I can hear you laughing um, in her mind. And so, you know, I also learned to be more spontaneous, be more vulnerable, um, not try to know everything, and admit, hey, I don't know everything. Um, and that's really, that's really important because a leader isn't a leader because of their title necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, so creating that culture where, where you can be honest about, you know, what you still need help with, and where you can engage the best in others. I mean, if you know everything um, and if you pro- proclaim to know everything, then what room is there for others to contribute? So vulnerability and spontaneity and getting that good laugh in is real important. Absolutely. You know, I agree. Right. <laughs> I, I agree. Everybody needs to laugh. There's no need to stop being so uptight. Yes. Life is life is swift. Life it's, is swift. And that, I'll tell you, there have been so many people who have been passing away, and, mm-hmm. you know, in their 30s, in their 40s, um, several people I went to college with. You know, one of the, the um, uh, prominent pastors here in my hometown, daughter passed away suddenly of pneumonia, at, just mm-hmm. celebrated their 40th birthday. So life is swift. Life is swift. So I try to live life with no regrets and mm-hmm. that if, you know, 
I won't say God forbid, but if this is if this is will, if I pass away tomorrow, I can pass peacefully knowing that I've given my all and I've had fun along the way. But, all right. <laughs> I, I'm with you. I I am definitely with you on that, Miss Crispin. What strengths and experience do you feel are most important to thrive as a leader in corporate America and create your seat at the table? Because a lot of times our emerging leaders or young leaders are are busy trying to get to the table. However, once you get there, you need to be able to stay there. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. you have to be able to bring that value so what, what strengths and experience do you feel have been most important for you and companies that are billion-dollar companies? Mm-hmm, hmm Well, you know, that is real interesting about taking a seat at the table or bringing a folding chair. I think Shirley Chisholm said that, which <laughs> that was a movie I loved watching, Unbought and Unbossed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say as it relates to you know, claiming your seat at the table and staying there. Um, my my parents, I love them. Um, one of the things they taught me growing up is that you have to be twice as good to get half as far. And that was a common uh, refrain and a common belief uh, and lesson that many African-American parents taught their children. Mm-hmm. Um, as I grew up, I really reevaluated that lesson, and I decided that, that that wasn't serving me well. It created a sense of paranoia. <laughs> it created a <laughs> sense of, you know, it, inferiority. Am I not as good as anybody else? And mm-hmm. I don't think that was their intention. I know that wasn't their intention. But I decided that um, I wasn't going to be bound by that philosophy anymore. In my early 20s, I went to a three-day workshop called Landmark Forum. And during this forum, I had so many insights, um, the most provocative of which is as a result, uh, my husband and I, who had separated and divorced, we had a conversation where we were able to put some of the past um, behind us, and that restarted us, uh, that started us again to dating, and we eventually got remarried. So that was a huge outcome of it. But another outcome of that weekend was that I realized that I'm more human than I am black. I'm more human than I am woman. I'm more human than any other label or identity that I associated myself with or that others may have associated myself with. So why do I tell this story as it relates to the strengths that you need to thrive as a leader and taking a seat at the table? If I hadn't had that mindset shift around Mm -hmm. being more human, there's no way I would have considered, let alone had a successful career in a 10,000-person town of Hershey, Pennsylvania, where the population was 3% African-American, and I think my family of five probably added 2% to get to that three, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, and when you think about being, let's say, the only one at the table, a lot of times we get stuck 
on that. And that comes with its own narrative that doesn't mm-hmm. always serve us well. You know, I, I went to FAMU, and it's a historically black college, and well over 10,000 students were there um, during my six years in college getting an undergrad and a graduate degree. And what I learned is that even at an HBCU, you know, African Americans, we're not a monolithic people. We right. are very diverse. All women aren't alike. All men aren't alike. Each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. So I got rid of that paranoia and that mindset that put me in an inferior position at the start. So how do you get a seat at the table? It's delivering against the performance metrics. It is building relationships because if you don't build relationships and you're on an island, when things get tough, when you need feedback, when you need favors, when you need people to accelerate uh, tasks that are dragging that your team needs in order to accomplish their goal, if you don't have those relationships, you're going to be up a creek. Um, Mm -hmm. Helping other people get what they want. When you help other people get what they want, naturally you'll ultimately get what you want. So that collaboration is really important, not being the smartest person in the room and being okay with that. Um, mm-hmm. Politics, you, you, you play or you get played. Politics <laughs> happens, okay? And the thing about politics, it's not unique to the office setting. It's not unique to corporate America. It is how humans navigate. It's, it's, it's power. It is influence. And so it's going to happen. Organizational politics will happen, but you either play or get played. Now, you don't, have to, you don't have to sacrifice your integrity in order to navigate politics. And you don't have to play a game um, in order to successfully navigate, but you do need to understand what are the objectives, what are the motivating factors, what are the fears that people might have? What are the primary goals? And how can you help advance the agenda? Um, humility. Humility is really important. Uh, I have a manager who told me feedback is a gift. And very early on in my career, I didn't accept feedback too well. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I had this profession mentality or what, but it was tough to accept feedback. But feedback truly is a gift because people don't have to provide you feedback. Without the feedback, though, we'll have blind spots, just like the blind spot I talked about earlier with being an only child and not knowing how to, uh, how to work with peers in order to, to navigate things and negotiate, negotiating to get the outcomes that that we want. So, you know, feedback really is a gift. And accepting the feedback and not being defensive around the feedback will help you to be able to get more feedback. Now, don't be paranoid asking for feedback every month. That's just too much. (laughs) Um, But, you know, have that that self-awareness. That's really important because a lot of times we know when something was a little off kilter and having the humility to apologize when we need to, to, um, to, to, um, to ask for feedback, 
and to engage with others in a way that says, you matter, I value your contributions, and I, and I respect and honor you as a person. You just get that right there, which you just gave us. I feel like I need to send, you should be sending me an invoice. I feel like I need to send you a payment in the mail. I'll, I'll tell you my PayPal address. Don't worry. <laughs> For all those nuggets you just gave. I mean, it, that, I mean, that is, wow. So quite amazing because you're right. You know, sometimes our parents, and they have good intentions, but some of these uh, mantras <laughs> that, mm-hmm. they, that they tell us, you know, we have it in our mind and we replay that in our mind, and you're right, it will have you in one of those environments where you're paranoid or you know, I'm just mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, the many things that, you know, our parents, you know, say. Uh, then it's like, yeah. wait a minute, that that's not quite what I should be doing uh, because it's hindering, you know, it's hindering my my mindset if I think like that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's that's good. You're you're right. I mean, it will create some paranoia, and you know. Yeah, and, and and they don't mean it. They did they did the best they could. They made the best decision they could at the time with the information they had. And so I still honor and respect them. I've just grown to to understand that that doesn't work for me. And you can still honor and respect, but pivot. I, I'll tell you another thing. I realized during that landmark forum, I realized at the age of 25, I had never had a non-African-American friend, like a true friend. I went mm-hmm. to predominantly, I grew up in Columbus and went to Columbus City Schools. I intentionally chose to go to a historically black college for undergrad and graduate school. And so mm-hmm. it was a culture shock coming to corporate America where <laughs> I was truly a minority. Um, And I realized that an all-black world, you know, does not exist. And so I had to learn how to trust and build relationships and become more vulnerable um, to people who uh, I I may not have had as much experience building relationships with. But Mm -hmm. that insight of being more human than I am any other identity, that was life-changing for me. That was life-changing. And um, that was, I would say, one of the moments that truly accelerated my career um, Mm -hmm. because I wasn't, I didn't identify. And and let's be clear, I'm very proud of my heritage. I'm very proud, you know, of, of all that my ancestors have done and the legacy and the shoulders on which I stand. So it's not about denying any part of my identity. It's mm-hmm. about prioritizing the humanity in, in each of us. And it's our humanity that really binds us together um, and that, that helps me be able to navigate as the only one, quote, unquote, in a room, which I've been for, unfortunately, many years. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it is changing. There are more women Um, who are coming into positions of leadership and influence. There are more diverse employees, uh, the same in politics in every facet of our society. But I never got stuck on, well, I shouldn't say never. But once I had this mindset shift, 
I stopped being stuck on being the only one. And that really doesn't even come into my mind anymore. That's awesome. That's awesome. So listening audience, you know, think about that. Think about that as you're at the table. Think about, you know, if there is a mindset shift that you need to to do, some of those things that you grew up hearing that uh, may be a hindrance uh, on you, just give that a consideration. When you said that, it made me think of uh, parents always saying money don't grow on trees. And mm-hmm. that, you know, that's one of those things where, you know, when you hear that, what does that make you think? Well, you need to be kind of, you know, you need to think about your money. You need to hold it close. You need to, you know, work hard for it. And, you know, and so, mm-hmm. again, when you have that kind of, you know, mindset and think about it like that, when it comes to investing where there's risk and you need to take mm-hmm. those calculated risks, then mm-hmm. it goes against what you kind of, you know, that record you have replayed uh, in your mind. So that was an awesome example that you used, Chris, and I, I appreciate that. I have wrote that down. And I Thank you, Coach will use I will use that. I will give you credit the yes. first time or so. <laughs> but I did write I that it. down in my feedback. I love it. <laughs> So earlier you talked about having an executive coach. Uh, So what part have having mentors, coaches, or informal sponsors played on the progression of your career? Huge, huge. Um, And I've had mentors inside and outside of the organization. In fact, I think that's a really healthy thing to do because sometimes you need people who are familiar with the situation, with the people, with the players, with the dynamics, with the culture. And then sometimes you need uh, folks who are, who are removed from it, who can give you an objective assessment. I'll tell you, the other mentor uh, who is my rock, and that is my husband. Um, mm-hmm. I once, I've, I've done 360s throughout uh, my career every so often, just to get feedback from a wide variety of people in various facets of my life. And what's so interesting is that sometimes the opportunities that are identified in the workplace are some of the same complaints that my husband talks about at home. Um, (laughs) So it is good to have a wide variety of folks who can provide insight on your strengths, uh, it's also a, your opportunities and also, you know, what, what your natural gifts and talents are. It's also a very affirming uh, process with, with a 360, but it's also vulnerable because we see what our opportunities are. That's what I love about having mentors, especially who may not be inside of our organization, is that they are Team Kristen. They're Team Taiwana, um, and they are there strictly with your benefit in mind. So I love that. Sponsors definitely play a great role in helping to speak up for you when you're not in the room. That's often where the decisions happen, not at the interview table um, and not at the table where they're identifying who's going to be slated for roles and he's going to be on, on that interview roster. I'll also tell you another area that um, is, is great when it comes to learning from others, and that's through observation. I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier that the higher you go, the less coaching, feedback, how-tos, direction you get. 
you become a lot more autonomous. And sometimes I've learned so much by observing others, observing what's effective about them, observing what is not effective, what is the type of leader and person that I want to be, and what's the type of person that I do not want to be. Um, so that's really important. I mean, I had a, I had a manager once who worked so hard that she nearly worked herself into a heart attack. I'm oh like, my oh, my goodness. You know, that, that's just too much. So learning through observation is important and self-awareness, meditation, quiet time, um, uh, prayer, exercise, all of those times are, are – and, and making sure that I have time blocked out on my schedule, that I'm not consumed with back-to-back meetings all day, every day. That makes me mm-hmm. a very – ineffective person. Um, so that quiet time to really reflect and be self-aware, um, sometimes it's on my commute to and from work. Um, oftentimes that, that is when it is. But it's really important. Self-awareness is another great way that we can, you know, kind of let our, in, our inner self, our intuition be our guide and bring things to us. We can feel things in our in our you know, in most parts in our, in our inner being when things are off kilter. So I would say observing and also being self-aware is, is really great. I do have an executive coach who I absolutely adore, and that's been really helpful too because, again, I'm a lifelong learner, and I, I know that everybody listening is as well or you wouldn't be on this call, but it's important to have those people who, you know, are team you, who can mm-hmm. help you to sharpen your skill set because we all have um, great strengths and we all have things that we can do that can make us more effective. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's good. I'm happy that you mentioned that of, you know, being able to have mentors inside and outside of the workplace and really, you know, being able to, to speak to different areas that you are, you, you know, you need those professional mentors, you need those personal mentors. I say that all, all the time because, again, we should always be learning and you don't know what you don't know. Absolutely. So besides being a dynamic leader, you are also a published author. So yes. you mentioned it earlier a little bit about your 2008 book release of Love's Resurrection. A spiritual mm-hmm. journey through marriage, divorce, and remarrying the same man. Tell the listeners a little bit about that project, and I know you're working on something something else special. Don't give us too yeah. much. Don't give too much on this something else special, <laughs> but give the listeners a little bit, just a little bit. Just a little bit. So I did um, marry my college sweetheart, and after nine months of being married, we separated, and shortly after that, we divorced. Um, It was certainly a time of deep reflection, of um, drawing closer to God, of doing that self-awareness and that self-assessment to realize what did I contribute to the situation, you know, what mm-hmm. did he contribute to the situation? And um, turning from those ways to make a concerted effort to be a better Christian. It was one of the best things, honestly, that happened to, to both of us. 
And I'm really um, so blessed and so thankful that about four years after um, getting separated and divorced, we remarried. And it started after that landmark forum where I had a conversation and I said, you know, it's not about you being right and me being wrong or vice versa. How you feel is valid. Mm -hmm. And that conversation opened up to courting again and eventually getting married. Um, And now we have three beautiful children, um, so that has the, the the fruit is there, so everything is good. <laughs> so That's that awesome. book is available, yep. And I'm working on another book. So this book is about emotional intelligence and leadership and how to leverage emotional intelligence to advance your career. Um, you could probably tell that I'm passionate about, you know, not only helping businesses to grow but helping people to develop and grow as well. So I am putting the finishing touches on my book, who's been picked up, which has been picked up by an agent and a publishing, uh, major publishing company. So it will be released, uh, God willing, in 2020. So I'm excited about that. Um, but it, it's really for goal getters who, you know, find themselves stuck at a certain level, but know that that's below their destiny or, you know, it's for lifelong learners who are always looking to sharpen their skills to be more effective. I cover a lot of topics from empathy to resilience to personal branding, having an enterprise mindset, um, agility, um, and, and I'm, I'm excited to drop pearls and, and nuggets. So it's 52 Emotional Intelligence Insights to Advance Your Career. They're short and sweet. But then I have chapters on those subjects that I just mentioned that go deeper into each of those uh, themes around emotional intelligence because it's not just about the what, it's also and importantly about the how. So I talk about things like why great performance isn't enough, your boss isn't the enemy, what you need to leave but won't learn in business school, politics, play or get played, et cetera. So I'm really excited about this project. Um, It's my little side project to, to pour into people and to just give back and lead, lead that regret-free life. That is awesome. I'm so excited for you and so excited for that project. I know that it's going to be amazing. That Thank is one you. of the big things that companies are talking about now, the emotional intelligence. I just got a book today with homework from work about emotional intelligence. And so I look forward to seeing your publication being that book that companies are giving uh, to their employees to read. So we will see. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Listen, write the vision, make it plain. Yes, I love it. Your publication will be in offices and companies uh, near and far. I, I already know that, that you're going to do some great things. And so I receive that. Listen, receive it. I already know. I'll be waiting for my copy once it's time. So I'm excited for 2020 for you. And so I know you give back and do a lot in the community. Uh, You're not just one of those kind of leaders that lead in the workplace, but you also uh, lead in the community and actually uh, do the work with your time, talent, and treasure. So I know that you have a few uh, initiatives and organizations that you have 
uh, done some community work with and raised money for. Uh, mm-hmm. Wanted to highlight on those things. So I know you did some endowments and scholarships as well as. Yeah. Uh, so you want to talk a little bit about your community endeavors? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, just really blessed that I believe in pay, paying it forward. There were so many people who invested in me, you know, whether it was a listening ear, whether it was a scholarship, whether it was teaching me, whether it was getting me on, the, on a different pathway. So I just feel um, a need to give back. And I would say that youth has always been my, my, my heart. Every church that I've gone to, I've started either a nursery or a children's church. Um, and, and youth is are, it's just my heart. So my husband and I have a nonprofit organization, Pace Setters Unlimited, that really provides mentoring for, for youth, high school students, and then scholarships for students going to historically black colleges. And, you know, it really started off as a, as a commitment between the two of us to want to give back, and it started really with just the two of us, and we've um, grown in the number of volunteers that we have and and the donors that we have, and we're just so grateful for that. Just two weeks ago, we were able to award $5,000 in scholarships to students, not only incoming freshmen, but also to upperclassmen so that they could just not only start school but also finish college. So that's really a blessing. I'm super excited to have the support of my company. For the past four years, we've brought uh, my Business Leadership Academy students, uh, about 25 young ladies from all across Columbus, into the corporate environment for a day to shadow. Um, And so Cardinal Health has been so supportive of that. Um, And so it's just a blessing to be able to give back. My husband takes young men to, um, to colleges. They do a college tour every fall, and they go to both historically black colleges and, and other universities as well, uh, and that's the culminating event after their Mr. Magnificent program. So it's just a blessing to be able to give back and to have so many supporters who, you know, donate as little as $5 um, or donate their time to help young people really make a difference. I mean, education is a passport to the future, so I'm a huge proponent of of education. And quite honestly, youth are easier to coach sometimes than adults, so that makes it even more joyful. (laughs) That is awesome. I love it. Now, Kristen, I could talk to you for hours. Unfortunately, I don't have hours, but you have uh, left our listening audience with so many nuggets. How can the listeners stay connected with you and continue to support you uh, on your journey? Oh, thank you. The time has gone so fast, and I've enjoyed it so much. You can um, hit me up on LinkedIn, so Kristen Harper on LinkedIn, and we can connect there. Um, I am me. You know, I would love to have my book in more companies and, and, and share some of this message with companies um, and organizations across the country, and who knows, maybe even around the world. Hey, anything is possible, and we are going to speak it into existence for 2020. Yes. So thank you, Kristen, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to give me an opportunity to interview you tonight. It has definitely been an honor and a pleasure to have you on as my guest. So many blessings and continued success to you on your journey. Thank you. The pleasure was all mine. Thank you, Coach T. Thank you, listener audience, for tuning in to tonight's show with my special guest, 
Kristen Harper, who shared with us tons of nuggets, but here are just a few. So early exposure is key for our children so that they can get that spark and make sure that spark is lit. Taking calculated risks along your journey, there are no right or wrong answers. There's just trade-offs. So just as you make decisions, think about that. Learn what your blind spots may be. That'll be helpful both your personal and professional life. Give with no expectation. Give from the heart. Don't give more than you can afford to lose. Engaging people in both mind and heart is very important. Exposure are also important to your leadership. Enjoy the moment. Don't forget to laugh and be spontaneous. Create a culture where you can be vulnerable. Delivering performance to meet the metrics will help keep you at the table, building relationships, understanding organizational politics happen. So you play or you get played. So you need to understand uh, that organizational politics uh, does exist. Be humble. Have humility. Remember, feedback is a gift. Being self-aware is very important. Having those mentors, coaches, and and sponsors are very important. But you can also learn through observation. And it's important to have a wide variety of people who are being honest with you and helping you learn what those blind spots are. So those were just a few nuggets that Kristen shared with us today. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, starting your own radio show or low-cost advertising, highlighting your business or events, please send me an email at dibroadcasting at com, and please tune in next week to hear from another amazing leader. Until then, have a good evening. Thank you, friends, for tuning in to another episode of Leadership Tidbits with Coach T. Wilson, where Taiwana speaks with leaders who share nuggets of wisdom that you can use in your personal and professional life. Follow her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Coach T. Wilson. Connect on LinkedIn or visit www.coachtwilson.com. And remember, in life, learn as much as you can, appreciate often, and lead fearlessly.